Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to episode 40 of the Nope Too Creepy podcast. This just might be the most epic episode to date, as it will feature a new original story. Not only is this story the longest I have ever written, it is also one of the most special pieces I have ever penned. That's because it's not just any story, but one that takes place in the world of Encounters, the cryptid hunting game. For those of you who don't know, Encounters is a tabletop slash board game that I created. As of the hour of this episode going live, the game will be on Kickstarter for just another day before the campaign ends and production begins. The game is funded, so there's no looking back now, baby! If you want to secure your copy of the game and get first dibs on it once it's produced, be sure to go make your pledge as soon as possible. Link in the show notes! Anyway, dear listener, let's get on to the story. This tale follows a scientist who gets recruited to join a very mysterious organization for a special mission. A team is formed, featuring a tracker, a hired gun, a field medic, an arms dealer, and a thief. Which just so happens to be the five classes that you can play as in Encounters. Together, their goal is to track down an elusive cryptid, and of course, do so without facing its deadly wrath. Without any further ado, ladies and gents, written by yours truly, I present, I joined a team of cryptid hunters. My name is Benjamin Lazar, and I'm a cryptozoologist. Over the years, I've learned that it's best to just come right out and tell people that, and then go through the process of answering the slew of questions that tend to follow. For example, the most popular response, What the hell is that? I'd like to assume that, if you're listening to this, you're already aware, but for those who are not, cryptozoology is the study of unknown, legendary, or extinct creatures whose present existence is disputed or unsubstantiated, otherwise referred to as cryptids. The follow-up to that answer is typically something along the lines of, So what? Are you one of those freaks that go out searching for Bigfoot? And the answer to that is, yes, I've studied Bigfoot, and the several creatures that are similar, the Yeti, Sasquatch, and in one particular case, a creature I refer to as Boggy, over in Folk, Arkansas. But I don't want people to get the wrong idea. Creatures like Boggy are only one of the hundreds I aim to either prove or disprove the existence of. The laymen tend to get caught up in what they know from Hollywood and pop culture. Their narrow minds latch on to the familiar. Vampires, werewolves, witches, and the Loch Ness Monster. Every now and then they might surprise me and ask about the Chupacabra. And again, yes, those are all on my list. But 
If they knew just how many cryptids are out there, the various forms they can take, and how dangerous some of them can be, they would think twice before making a mockery of my profession. In their defense, cryptozoology is still considered a pseudoscience by most institutions. There are a number of pros and cons that go with that. Pro, there are not too many cryptozoologists at my level. While there are countless amateurs and hobbyists that delve into it, only a select few take it to my level of expertise. Con, job opportunities are few and far between. I have to really keep my ear to the ground and make sure my services are known about by any possible prospects. Pro, when a job does come around, it often pays pretty well. Not enough that I'm ever going to be swimming in money, but enough to get by and live somewhat comfortably. Con, the best paying jobs are often the most dangerous. That leads me to the story I wish to share with you all right now. I was contacted about one of those jobs. It offered possibly the highest payout I'd ever seen, but apparently had the potential of being the most dangerous. The organization that contacted me, some international agency calling themselves DSP Global Operations, did not say that last part outright. I had to sort of read between the lines to gauge exactly how much I'd be risking my ass. Their email read as follows. Benjamin Lazar, we learned of your knowledge and expertise in the field of cryptozoology through your previous employers. Based on what they have told us, you would make an excellent candidate for a team we are currently forming. This team is being formed for the sole purpose of tracking, eliminating, and extracting various specimens we hope to study. The team would consist of various experts in an array of professions, including an armed escort, should the need for protection arise. Upon delivery of the specimen, you will receive a direct deposit of $64,000 into your preferred bank account. If you're interested in learning more, simply reply to this message with the word, yes, and a representative will follow up with you within 24 hours. We hope to hear from you soon. Best regards, DSP Global Operations, Recruitment Division. Now, I've been doing this for a while, and I can tell you with confidence that this email was different. The part about an armed escort was nothing too out of the ordinary, but a payout of over 60k was insane. I have never heard of this organization from previous jobs or colleagues, so for them to offer such high compensation made me very suspicious. But hey, what would I have to lose by just replying, right? So that's what I did. And sure enough, within 24 hours, they reached out. Actually, only a few hours later, I heard my doorbell ring. I rarely, if ever, get visitors, so alarm bells went off immediately. I peeked through some windows towards the porch, but saw nobody. After about 10 minutes of paranoid surveillance, I opened the door to look around. Sure enough, there was no sign of anybody. 
but on the ground, I saw a small package. I carefully picked it up to inspect it and found there was no labels to indicate any kind of a mailing or return address. I brought it inside and meticulously began to cut away at the adhesive, allowing the box to be opened as slowly as possible. When it finally did open, what I saw inside was a mobile phone. A standard, generic burner phone that you would find at your local electronic or convenience store. I pushed a few buttons and as the screen lit up, I saw that it had both full power and service. Also in the box, next to the phone, was a single business card. I picked it up. One side was completely black, and the other only had one line of text, a phone number. Naturally, I did what any sane person would do, and called the number using the burner phone. It rang only once before someone answered. A delicate but firm female voice spoke from the other end. Hello, Mr. Lazar. Thank you for your interest in the contractor position with DSP Global Operations. This line will disconnect in five minutes. Feel free to ask me any questions about the job, and I will answer, provided the information is not classified. You have until the five minutes are up to accept the job. If you decline or the time runs out, we will not reach out again. Uh, hi there, I stammered. I, I do have some questions. I strained my brain as much as possible in order to ask any vital questions I had in the most efficient way possible. What creature are you guys after, and where would we be looking for it? While I'm not at liberty to disclose the exact name of the target specimen, I can tell you the team will be searching for it in Yucatan, Mexico. If you are recruited, transportation will be provided, and you will arrive there tomorrow to rendezvous with the rest of your team. Tomorrow? Yes, sir. Time is of the essence, and we need the specimen contained as soon as possible. You will be able to bring one backpack with you. Other supplies will be provided on site. We project your time in the area to last between two and four days in total. I took a moment to process everything. What would I need to pack? Who would I be working with? And most importantly, what the hell would we be searching for? Two minutes remaining, Mr. Lazar. How do I know this is real? I've never even heard of DSP before. You're saying some people are going to come take me to Mexico, and you just expect me to blindly go with it? Of course not, sir. If you accept, a 50% deposit will be made into your bank account. Wait, really? Are you still using the account ending in 4288 for your contract payments? How the hell did you know? I paused. I realized just then how powerful this organization may have been. I had worked with shady contracts before, but none were like this. They knew where I lived and were able to send somebody to my doorstep in almost no time. They even had my bank information. While one part of me was saying to forget it all 
and kindly declined the job. The other part of me. The less savory, greedier, and more curious side felt optimistic. $64,000 and a free trip to the beach. The whole thing started to become a lot more appealing. Without thinking any further, I blurted out an answer. I'll take the job. I heard some typing from the other end before they replied. Excellent. Your deposit is being processed and should enter your bank account in a moment. Please prepare for your trip immediately. Your bag should contain a few pieces of extra clothing, vital toiletries, and any medication you may need. All other supplies will be provided by DSP staff. Please keep this phone charged and close by. We will be sending you a text message when we arrive at your home. Any other questions? No, I'm good. We look forward to your arrival, Mr. Lazar. Goodbye. With that, the call ended. I immediately ran to my computer to check my bank account. Sure enough, there it was. A direct deposit of $32,000. I was not sure how they made it happen, but they did. And right then and there, that was all that mattered. I spent the rest of the day preparing. I packed some clothes, my toothbrush, sunglasses, a camping knife, some earplugs, and a few books and journals to be used for reference. After packing, I began doing some digging on what we could possibly be hunting in that part of Mexico. I couldn't find much. There was the chupacabra, which has its roots in Puerto Rico, but I guess there could be a subspecies in Mexico. It could be a witch of some kind, though I never put too much stock in magical beings. That's why I brushed off all the mythical creatures in the area, and trust me, there were several. Mayan mythology was big, especially in Yucatan, but again, almost all of them were magical in nature. I reasoned that if this shady company was willing to shell out $64,000 to someone who was essentially a guide to the rest of the party, that they were going after something more tangible in nature. I deduced that the target cryptid would have to be thermomorphic, meaning animal-like, a creature that we have not necessarily proved to be real yet, but could easily be without breaking any laws of nature. Digging a bit more led me to the only logical answer, the Zalum. The Zalum was a creature from Mayan mythology, but while the others were wizards and creatures from the depths of hell, this was essentially just a big cat. Specifically, a large, white, jaguar type of animal. Could it be dangerous? Sure, any big cat can be. But I'd be traveling with a team of professionals, including at least one person who would be armed and trained in combat, according to the call from earlier. This would be a glorified safari hunt, and I was going to get paid big for it. My fears and suspicions began to fade away, replaced with the giddy excitement that precedes a big vacation. 
The next day eventually arrived, and with it, the travel escort, compliments of DSP Global Operations. I waited anxiously for the text to come, and when it did, all it said was, We will be arriving in 25 minutes. Please wait at the end of your driveway. So, that's what I did. I stood there, looking back and forth at both ends of the street, until in the distance, I saw a vehicle coming down the quiet, rural road that led to my home. As it approached, I was able to make out more features. It was a large black utility van. There were no windows, nor were there any markings or decals to indicate who owned and operated it. It drove up to the end of my driveway and quickly came to a stop. The door slid open, and out came two hulking dudes dressed in blue, military-style fatigues. They didn't say a word as they exited, and stood at my sides. I began to get nervous once again, until I noticed another person in the van. In the passenger seat was a woman, dressed in professional attire, complete with a collared shirt and gray pencil skirt. She wore big, stylish glasses and had her hair up in a neat bun. She turned her head to look my way before smiling and beginning to speak. Good morning, Mr. Lazar. We are so thrilled to have you aboard for this mission. Right away, I could tell it was the woman from the phone. The same woman from yesterday who gave me all the information. I sure as hell was not expecting the phone operator to actually pick me up in person. Glad to be here, I finally replied. Please, come in and take a seat. I obeyed. After getting settled in, the two military guys also took their seats in the row behind me. I glanced back at them, giving them both a nod and a smile. They stared back at me, stone-faced and serious. Feeling very uncomfortable, I turned back around. The phone operator began to speak again. Right now we're heading to the plane that will take you to our base of operations in Yucatan. Upon arrival, you will be shown to your temporary quarters and meet the rest of your team. This is all so... official. I quipped, trying to ease the tension in the van. It didn't work. The operator continued. Your team will consist of five other contractors. All five possess a set of skills we felt would contribute to the successful tracking, neutralization, and extraction of our target specimen. Your job will be to provide insight on the creature and advise your team on how to best capture it. Well, that'll be kind of tough when I don't even know what we're looking for, I said, still sounding sarcastic. I saw her head turn back in my direction, bearing a slight grin. You will be hunting the Hawaii Chivo. I stared back at her not sure how to react. I've read about the Hawaii Chivo in the past. As a matter of fact, it was one of the creatures I read about the night prior when trying to figure out what this whole mission was about, but dismissed it as a possibility. That's because the Hawaii Chivo was not real. 
It was one of the mythic creatures from Mayan lore. It was believed to be an evil and magical entity, a sorcerer with the power to shapeshift into a half-human, half-beast hybrid. From what I remember, it had a preference to become half-goat specifically. If she was being serious about this, it meant we were being sent to chase out a roided-out goat man. Are you... Are, are you serious? We understand you will likely need to kill the target in order to capture it, but your team will receive bonus payments if you capture it alive. With all due respect, ma'am, how the hell do you expect us to catch something that does not exist? I could have sworn she almost laughed for a moment. Of all people, Mr. Lazar, I did not expect you to have that type of attitude. You've made a career out of studying things that are not supposed to exist. Why is this any different? There's a difference between a cryptid that is most likely just a mutated or undiscovered species of an animal and this. You're talking about make-believe here. Magic. Something out of ancient folklore. The operator slowly turned to face me. The smirk disappeared from her face and was now replaced with a grim glare. Mr. Lazar, we can assure you as an organization that we've done our due diligence here. We have encountered creatures that far surpass the Hoichivo in the realm of impossibility. Supernatural creatures such as this, they exist. This will not be the first time we go after one, nor will it be the last. If you prove yourself to be a useful asset on this mission, we may have a spot for you. But step one of that process is to understand what I'm telling you is the truth. Laughing this off as a wild goose chase will not only put the mission at risk, but the life of you and your team. I stared back, unsure of what to say. On one hand, she had a sound argument. If these DSP people were willing to go through all of this, they must have really believed there was something to be caught. On the other hand, though, it just all felt completely impossible. I pondered my response for a moment before speaking. Okay, I understand. But on the off chance that we are unable to capture this thing, then what? What will happen with the failure to capture the target specimen will result in 50% of your remaining payment being revoked for an incomplete job. So you're saying even if we come back with nothing, I still get $16,000 in addition to what was already provided? That's correct, Mr. Lazar. I mean, how was I supposed to argue with that? If I was right... I would still walk away with a handsome $48,000. And if she was right, not only would I get the full 60, I'd be part of a team responsible for capturing a legendary monster. It seemed like a very clear win-win situation to me. Okay then, I said, making myself comfortable in the seat. Let's go catch us a goat man. The plane ride to the Yucatan Peninsula was rough, 
It was in a small jet that seemed to be going much faster than what seemed possible, but at least that meant less time in the damn thing. I eased my way off the plane. The phone operator stayed behind, but the two military guys were still with me. And no, they had not spoken a single word the entire time, other than the occasional copy that into their earpieces. I really wished I knew the full story of what was going on, but the thought of a huge payday kept me distracted. After filing off the plane, we immediately hopped into a Humvee which drove us out of the open field we landed in and into the surrounding jungle. I tried to ease my mind even further by convincing myself this was an exciting adventure. I looked up at the pristine and colorful foliage that whizzed by, spotting different birds and critters hiding in the trees. It was an overall pleasant drive, especially when compared to the plane ride. After some time we started passing makeshift checkpoints, manned by more people in the blue military fatigues. I noticed these people, unlike the two I was with, were carrying large rifles in their hands. It was clear the two that escorted me were also, very likely, armed, but if they were, they made sure to conceal it. When the distance between the checkpoints got smaller, I knew we were getting close. It wasn't long until we made it to our destination. A huge operating site became visible through the trees. I was taken aback. This place was crawling with more military-like people in the blue fatigues. Large white tents had people in lab coats rushing in and out. More Humvees drove around, carrying various personnel who, like the checkpoint staff, were armed to the tooth. I began to truly realize the weight of my situation. I'd never heard of DSP Global Operations, but it was clear they meant business. Our Humvee came to a stop, and my two escorts hopped off. Follow us, sir, one of them said, finally breaking the silence between us. Without a word, I listened, following the two of them through the base. We approached one of the larger white tents before entering. I looked around and mostly saw more DSP crew members. But among them was a small group of people, none of whom looked like they fit in. I was led straight to that group. My escort walked up to another man in fatigues, saluted him, and began to speak. Captain, this is the cryptozoologist we told you about. He will be joining your team. The other man turned around to face us. He looked to be slightly older than me, but had a face that was so grizzled and intense that I couldn't really be sure. Roger that, the captain said, returning the salute. Inform the director that all the contractors are now present and accounted for. Yes, sir! The men both proclaimed before turning and walking off. The captain began to walk towards me, eyeing me up and down as he did, clearly sizing me up. He was even bigger than the others, not just tall, but clearly very strong and athletic. 
His thick forearms were covered in either scars or tattoos, made up of languages I did not recognize. Welcome to the team. We're not too big on names around here, especially for mercs and contractors. So for now, you can just refer to me as Captain. I'll be leading you and the rest of your team out into the field tomorrow. Pleasure to meet you, sir. I replied, trying my best to keep my composure. Let me introduce you to the rest of this mission's crew. He walked over to the other five people. They were sitting in the same area, not interacting with anyone else. Over there is our wildlife tracker, codename Bloodhound. He's an expert at locating and neutralizing all kinds of prey. And I mean all kinds. Bloodhound looked like your standard deep south hunter, draped in either camouflage or plaid, a bright orange hat, and a backwoods beard to match. He peeped out a lonely howdy in my direction. The captain continued. To his right is Raven, a mercenary we brought in due to her experience in dealing with the type of enemy we'll be hunting, and of course, her proficiency with that rifle of hers. Raven didn't even look my way. She just kept sharpening her combat knife. It was clear she was someone I did not want to mess with. Moving on, we have Shadow, a professional thief of all things. We've been keeping tabs on her exploits for a few years now. She managed to get in and out of some extremely high-security buildings. Our recon team suggested that we may need to utilize her particular set of skills for this mission. Shadow looked at me with a pair of piercing green eyes and a devious smile. Hello, handsome, she said before continuing to lay back against the wall. I recommend you keep an eye on your belongings around her, the captain whispered to me before continuing. Beside her is Kringle. He's an arms dealer, but he also has engineering skills that allows him to craft any special type of weapon or equipment we may need. What kind of special equipment? I asked. Kringle chuckled before answering me. Like something special you might need to kill a very specific target. Raven can tell you all about that. Isn't that right, Raven? Raven stopped sharpening her knife for a moment, but then returned to her medial task, stoic and unbothered as before. I didn't pursue the question any further. Last but not least is our field medic, codename Stitch. He was sent by his employer, who also wishes to learn more about our specific target. How do you do? Asked Stitch. I couldn't tell much about him. He was tall and lanky and wore an off-white lab coat, but what really stood out about him was his gas mask. Why was everyone acting like this guy was not wearing a gas mask? Not wanting to rub anyone the wrong way, I simply waved and said hello to everyone. And what are we going to call the new guy? I heard Raven ask. 
The captain examined his clipboard before looking back at me. I bet you were wondering that too, huh? Absolutely I was. They all had cool names, and I wanted one too, but I played it off. Yeah, I guess if everyone else has one. Your moniker will be Professor, due to your expertise in cryptozoology. The Professor? Pretty cool. I was hoping for something a little more badass than that, but I also had to be real with myself. I was no badass. Honestly, Professor was probably the coolest nickname I've ever been given. I smiled and nodded towards the captain, allowing him to continue. Now that we're all here, let me brief you on tomorrow's mission. I expect by now all of you know exactly what we're after. We will be heading out, on foot, at exactly 0600 hours, the captain stated. He walked toward a corkboard that had a map and various collections of documents and photos. All that was missing was the red string to connect them all. We'll be making our way towards El Castillo. We've made arrangements with the local government to have that area closed off to tourists for the day. We'll be going up the stairs and into the interior temple of the structure. That's where we suspect the Hue Chivo to be hiding. Upon entry, everyone should have their guard up. We receive reports of possible booby traps. Shadow, that's where you come in. You'll have to find a way around those if they're there. Bloodhound, as soon as you get any sign of a trail, you'll take point, with Raven close by to watch your back. Professor, you need to be taking in as much as you can and inform us of any possible leads or vital information we may need to take this thing down. Weaknesses, strengths, hell, even if you realize it's left-handed, you tell us. Kringle, you make sure everyone is armed with whatever they need. And Stitch, you make sure we all get back in one piece. I looked around at the group. No one really seemed phased by any of this. Like it was business as usual. I did my best to look the same. Any questions? The captain asked. Nothing. Good. I'll show each of you to your quarters for the night. Make sure you eat well and drink enough water, and for the love of God, get a good night's sleep. You're gonna need it. I got back to my quarters, which was just a standard cot and bedroll, with a footlocker at the end for my things. We were eventually escorted to the mess hall for dinner, where I ate a little bit, but sadly, none of the food looked all that appetizing. That night, I dug through all the books and journals I had with me, looking for any information that might help. That research ran late into the night, as I laid in my bed with a small LED, continuing to read. So basically, I already went against two out of three of the instructions from the captain. At least I drank plenty of water. It wasn't a fruitless task, though. I did find some information in my documents. If the Hue Chivo was real, it was likely a shapeshifter, and likely evil in nature, having made some type of unsavory deal with a dark force. I determined that silver and iron wouldn't do much, since it was not an undead being. 
salt might keep it at bay, as would holy water. But since this thing was a tangible entity, the best option would be brute force. Explosives and high-caliber ammunition would be our best friend here. The next morning, as promised, we set out into the jungle. Before leaving the base, various DSP staff came to equip us with a set of standard gear, a high-powered flashlight, a machete to chop through the thick foliage, a large canteen filled with water, and a set of clothing to wear as our first layer to protect us from bugs, poisonous plants, and the powerful sun. Finally, we were all given a service pistol, side holster, and three spare magazines. I saw Raven decline the offer, showing them that she already had her own sidearm. They didn't even try to argue. Everyone else grabbed their newly acquired pistols and slid them into the holsters. All of them still completely unfazed. Fortunately, I was no stranger to guns myself. I actually owned a 9mm pistol for home defense, similar to the one they gave us, though I had not actually shot the thing, even at the range, in a very long time. We trudged through the jungle as a unit, with the captain leading the way and Raven hanging out behind us, rifle at the ready. For the first hour or so, we made no small talk. The only time anyone spoke up was to alert the others about an obstacle or particularly stubborn set of branches. It was Bloodhound that finally broke the silence. So, Professor, I hear you're an expert on cryptids. That's what they tell me, I replied, trying to sound humble. Have you ever actually run across anything that you've studied? Well, not like you may think. I've helped different research teams track down and locate several rare and elusive subspecies of animals, different kinds of birds, fish, and insects, the occasional small mammal. Nothing too crazy. Sometimes I get hired by loons who were sure they knew where to find Bigfoot, or a vampire, but sadly, nothing came of those. Big surprise, right? I joked. Now why would you say something like that? Bloodhound asked, raising an eye. Well, I don't know about Bigfoot. He could definitely be real a subspecies or mutation from some ape-like creature, but vampires? Not sure what they were hoping to find with that one. I saw Bloodhound start to smile before letting out a laugh. Don't tell me you're a skeptic, Professor. He jested. I shrugged. Not sure what to tell you. I've done plenty of research on all of the supernatural cryptids, but... I've never found any convincing evidence that they exist. Oh, they exist. Bloodhound stated. He wasn't laughing anymore. About five years ago, I was out in the desert near the border of Arizona and New Mexico. I was part of a team sent out to exterminate a whole mess of wild hogs that were causing problems in the area. After a full day of slaughtering those swine, 
we set up camp. One of the guys in the crew, Andrew, walked away from the fire we were all sitting around so he can go take a piss. We noticed he was gone for what felt like a little too long. We had some dogs with us and they started whining and growling, staring off into the dark. That's when we heard Andrew scream in the distance. We all grabbed our guns and flashlights, heading into the direction of the scream. We got about 200 feet from our camp when we saw blood in the dirt. Then we heard him scream again, this time even further. By now, the dogs were bordering on rabbit. They were baring their teeth and snarling with their tails between their legs. Someone shined their light over a hill, and we caught the silhouette of someone. We called out to it, and right before we ran in its direction, we heard it scream one more time. It yelled at us, Help! But it was... Wrong. The pitch was off. We kept our lights on the silhouette. It was standing, pacing around, but again, the way it moved was just wrong. The way it twitched and spasmed still gives me the chills. We had another guy in our group, Chayton, who was a local member of the Navajo people. He shouted for us to stop and that we needed to get back to the trucks and get the hell out of there. Now, normally I would never stop in the middle of a job, but the look on that young man's face, it was true terror if I'd ever seen it. I told the rest of the crew to listen to him and we booked it back to camp. We never found Andrew. Poor kid. At this point, I was almost sure I knew the answer, but I asked anyway. What, uh, what was that thing you guys saw? Well, according to Chayton, what got Andrew was a skinwalker. I was never one to believe in such things, but after that night, after what I saw and heard, and the feeling of evil that I felt, yeah... It's safe to say I believe, and you should too. At some point in Bloodhound's story, Shadow had come up right between the two of us. Bloody hell, Mike, that story was wicked! She exclaimed, causing me to jump. I had a similar experience. One night, I was in Scotland. I was sneaking into the ruins of Donatar Castle after hearing rumors of a stash of old jewelry hidden in the crypts. I made my way inside with no problem. Security around the area was a joke. I eventually found my way to the lower levels of the castle, but that's when I began to hear things. Tiny little footsteps, laughing in the distance. Before I can figure out what was happening, I felt a sharp pain in my side. I had been stabbed by something. Someone stabbed you? I asked, not sure if I believed her tale. Not someone, Professor. Something. I looked down and saw a tiny little man no more than two feet tall. He had some type of spear 
and was ripping it out of me, trying to stab me again. Luckily, a surge of adrenaline kicked in, and I was able to kick that little bastard away from me. I heard more noises behind me, and when I shined my light, I saw another one. I didn't actually think I needed it, but I removed my pistol from the holster and began shooting. I think I got some of them. Didn't really care. All that mattered to me at the time was that they ran away, giving me enough time to get out of there. I still don't know how I managed to make it as far as I did with an injury like that. So what happened then? I asked. I woke up in a small medical area miles away from the castle. Apparently one of the patrols found me unconscious due to blood loss. They recognized me and knew I had a bounty on me head, so they cuffed me to the bed too. Silly wankers. They should have known I'd easily pick myself free. But before I did, I overheard the nurses talking about me. One of them was saying I was attacked by a red cap. A red cap? I inquired. Nasty little things. Tiny goblin-like creatures that like to hide out in the old runes, like the one I was in. Apparently, they get their names from their hats, which they soak in the blood of the people they attack. Good to know I was able to help the little buggers with my own missing pint. She began to laugh at her own joke, before lifting up her shirt and exposing her navel. They left me a little souvenir right here. A reminder that there are things out there. Things that want to hurt us. So it's best we hurt them first, eh? That's... incredible. Do all of you have some kind of experience like that? I asked the group. I got one. Kringle chimed in. I was completing a job over at Papua New Guinea of all places. Two major gangs had declared war on each other. So when one of them contacted me for gear, I did the only thing that made sense and offered my services to the opposing side as well. Real stand-up guy, aren't you, mate? Shadow joked. <laughs> You're one to talk, right? You know how it is. The blood was going to be spilled either way, meaning someone was going to get paid either way. Why not me? Kringle said with a cheeky grin. Can't argue with you there. Shido replied. Anyway, I did what I did. Made sure all the good boys and girls had their stocking stuffed with whatever they needed. I was making a final delivery out on the water. One of the gang leaders did all his planning on his private yacht, and that included a special delivery. He asked me to get him a whole mess of explosives, landmines, grenades, even raw material to make Molotov cocktails. My crew and I was making the final handoff when everyone on the boat heard a screech from above us. We all drew our guns, thinking the other side was trying to screw the other one over. I've dealt with that. Hell, I even expected it. But what I didn't expect was to see a giant, pterodactyl-looking thing soaring down towards us. 
It nabbed one of the gang members and pulled him off to the sky, before eventually dropping the poor son of a bitch back into the water. Obviously, we all started blasting at this thing, right? But it was like it was absorbing every damn shot. You mean to tell me a freaking dinosaur attacked the ship? Bloodhound laughed. Nah, man. I said it was a pterodactyl-looking thing. I learned later that the locals called it a roping. They were prepared for the thing. The leader pulled out his shotgun and got up to the top deck and waited. When it was close enough that he could actually smell the thing's breath, he blasted and kept blasting. That didn't kill it, but it definitely felt it. It let out a screech even louder than before and flew away. I haven't been back to the area since, and I don't have a plan to either. Sometimes the money just ain't worth it. Bloodhound wasted no time before attempting to continue our makeshift story time. What about you, Stitch? Ever operated on a zombie or anything? Stitch let out a rehearsed chuckle, clearly unamused before answering. None of you need to worry. I've had my fair share of the abnormal, so I'll be ready to do my job if the need arises. Unfortunately, my employer would prefer I keep the details of my experiences close to the chest. Maybe it was the way his voice became distorted from behind that freakish gas mask, but his words sent a chill down my spine. I must have not been alone because no one dared to try to pry any further. All right then, uh, uh, fair enough, I stuttered, attempting to ease the tension. That leaves you, Raven. Um, got any stories? Silence. Raven said nothing. She didn't even acknowledge the conversation. Oh, come on, Bloodhound said, turning his sights to Raven. You're telling me a merc of your caliber hasn't experienced a thing or two? Raven remained quiet, focusing past us. An awkward silence fell upon us as we continued to trudge through the thick jungle. Well, color me surprised. I was sure they brought you in because of your experience dealing with that kind of thing, but I guess you're just one of them normal, everyday hired guns that all- Four years ago, Albania, Raven said, cutting Bloodhound off. Her voice was monotone and very matter-of-fact. It drew everyone's attention right away. The squad I worked with for years was hired for a special job. A big-time drug kingpin needed a team to track down, locate, and return his missing son. The son was your typical entitled piece of shit. Party boy. Womanizer. Addict. Everything you'd want in a son. She explained. The kingpin suspected the son was kidnapped by one of his rivals. Took us about a week, but we managed to track down one of their storage facilities deep in the woods. As night fell, we geared up, ready to infiltrate the area. But as we got close, 
we realized there were no guards, no one patrolling the perimeter. It was all too easy, and we knew something was wrong. As we got closer, we all began to smell it. The unmistakable scent of blood. It became overpowering. I was no stranger to the smell, but I had never experienced it like this before. We made it to the fence that surrounded the place, and after some recon, we found an opening. But this opening, it was as if a truck had driven through it. The fence was destroyed, and right beyond it was where we saw the first body. It was one of the guards, but it was like they were turned inside out. We began to find more of them. It was a massacre. Limbs strewn about. People's insides littered the ground. There was so much blood. The group was dead silent now, glued to her every word, until Kringle spoke up. So, what was it? Raven's lip began to quiver before she blurted out her answer. A werewolf. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. All that and the whole time it was just a boring old werewolf. Shadow mocked Raven while she rolled her eyes. Her words must have triggered something in Raven. Because next thing we knew, she had her pinned against a tree. You wouldn't be saying that if you were there, you little shit. Raven grunted as she dug her forearm into Shadow's throat. That boring werewolf was stalking my team the whole time. Moments later, it attacked. My whole team was slaughtered before my eyes. It was a miracle I got away. Raven, that's enough. The captain roared, training his firearm onto the crazed mercenary. You were hired to keep these people alive. Now stand down immediately. Raven chuckled for a moment before removing her arm from Shadow. Bloody hell, woman! Shadow winced, coughing and rubbing her throat. At least buy me a nice dinner before you start getting rough with me, eh? Raven took her position behind the group and continued to blankly stare past us. We all looked around at each other, letting the tension slowly die down. Story time was over. We finished the rest of the journey in absolute silence. Night was beginning to fall when, finally, we stumbled upon our first real lead. Bloodhound was able to spot some prints, and we followed them out of the thick branches of the jungle and into a clearing. That's when we all saw it. Our target location, El Castillo the legendary pyramid within the ancient city of Chichen Itza. Well, I think y'all can probably guess where we are likely headed, Bloodhound said. There won't be any tourists. The captain spoke sternly, taking a few steps closer to the giant stone structure. And like I mentioned before, we contacted the local government to close it down for the day. But regardless... I need everyone to stay frosty. 
If our target is in there, don't expect it to go down without a fight. Our goal is to neutralize and capture this thing. Major bonus points if we avoid any collateral damage along the way. The caravan readied our weapons and began to ascend up the massive set of stairs of El Castillo. By the time we reached the top, almost everyone was worn out by the climb, but we had to keep moving. The captain led us through the dark and eerie inner workings of the structure. He held a tablet-like device as he did, which had some type of digital map on the screen. Finally, we all stopped, and the captain became confused. Ugh, this is not right. Our scouting records of this location indicates there should be a doorway that leads to the lower level, he explained. He began to rub his fingers along the wall before forming a fist and pounding the stone. Professor, you got any knowledge that can help us out? I was afraid he'd ask. I was actually worried for the majority of the mission. My knowledge on this creature was very limited, and I did most of my reading back at the base. I knew of creatures similar to it, though and figured providing some insight was better than none. The Hue Chivo is just an animal-human hybrid. It's a witch or a warlock who practices some sort of dark arts or magic. It's a shapeshifter, kind of like a skinwalker, so it likely will have at least some semblance of human intelligence and logic. If it is here, it chose this location for a reason. Maybe it was the safest place for it to hide between attacks. Either way, when we find it, we should remember that we aren't fighting some mindless, feral beast. The captain stared at me with a look that represented either deep contemplation or utter disappointment. I was racking my brain for more intel when, thankfully, someone else spoke up. Oh, come on now, cheer up, Cap. Shadow began to make her way to the wall, holding a few odd-looking metal tools. Sometimes you gotta just give it a minute. She began to feel across the wall, ever so slowly. The rest of us watched in confused anticipation. Suddenly, Shadow paused, her hand still on the wall. She began to inspect the area near her hand. After a bit of deliberation, she removed one of the metal tools and jammed it into the wall. It slid in with almost no resistance. Damn it, Shadow! I said no collateral damage! The captain shouted. You wanna get in there or not, Cap? Shadow barked back, grabbing a second metal tool. Now hush yourselves. I gotta listen real close for this. She began working the two metal tools against each other, as both of their ends worked their magic inside the hole of the wall. In almost no time, we all heard a loud click noise echo through the hall. The ground began to slightly rumble, more and more, until we noticed the wall beginning to move. Shadow had found and disengaged whatever mechanism was keeping the pathway blocked. 
Shadow nonchalantly returned to the group with a smug smile on her face. Sadly, her moment to shine was short-lived. Before the doorway even finished opening up, we heard it. A loud, unnatural roar coming from deeper within the newly exposed path. For a brief moment, things were silent as we all subconsciously held our breath in response. Then, the silence was broken. From the other end of the long corridor, we heard something charging, bearing impossibly loud thuds with each step at a speed that should not have been possible under something so large. We shined our lights towards it, with just enough time to see the wretched beast reach its target. Shadow. With her back still turned, we watched as the Huai Chivo jammed its sharp claw through her gut in one powerful strike. Yes, the silence was, in fact, broken. And with that came a slew of chaos I will never forget, no matter how hard I try. As Shadow's lifeless body hit the ground, the air around me erupted in an explosion of gunfire. Everyone began to empty their bullets at the creature. But this thing was smart. It was not like hunting an animal. It used logic and reason like I warned it would. It knew how to survive. It started by quickly retrieving the bloodied corpse of Shadow and holding it up to absorb the bullets. Before we knew it, the now eviscerated body of our former companion was being thrown at us with tremendous might. We all either got lucky or managed to dodge the hit, except Raven, who was hit directly by Shadow's body. The force sent her flying into a wall behind her and then quickly down to the ground. I finally broke my trance and reached for my pistol. I began to mindlessly blast at the monster as it sprinted from cover to cover. I noticed it lock its demonic red eyes onto mine before starting to run in my direction. I froze up again and closed my eyes, bracing myself for whatever dismemberment was coming my way. A loud blast shook me out of it. Bloodhound had run up to the Waichivo and shot it point-blank with his shotgun. The creature blocked the shot with its arm at the last moment. The arm was pulverized into a bloody mess, but still, the monster did not fall, and now, it was really angry. It swung at Bloodhound with its healthy arm, knocking the shotgun from his hands. The old veteran hunter was trying to regain his balance when the Huaychivo crouched forward and lunged. One of his sharp horns ripped through Bloodhound's chest. I watched as he screamed in agony, slowly being lifted off the ground by the monster. The Huaychivo whipped its head to the side, and with that, Bloodhound's body slammed to the floor. The monster dove at the corpse and proceeded to bite and scratch into it. I couldn't tell if he was eating Bloodhound's body or just doing it out of spite. Either way, 
I was once again unable to move. Don't just stand there, you idiot! Help us take this thing down! I heard the captain shout from behind a nearby wall. He began firing himself, using his automatic rifle. Where the hell is everyone? I began to fumble with a new magazine, doing my best to calm my nerves and steady my hand. I really wish they would have given us something bigger than a lousy 9mm. I found my voice and shouted back at the captain. Ravens down! Bloodhounds down! And Shadow... I stammered. No idea about Kringle and Stitch. I'm over here, boys. We heard Kringle shout from a different wall. And I got a treat for this son of a bitch. I got the landmines ready to take him out. Negative, Kringle. Those mines were only to be used if we encountered the target in the jungle. An explosive like that can permanently damage the structure. The captain roared in return. You really think I give a damn about that right now? This thing's gonna tear us limb by limb. Kringle shouted back. The Huayjivo continued to roar and further mutilate what was left of Bloodhound. Kringle didn't wait for the captain's approval. He removed the mines and began to activate them. I peeked around the wall to assess the rest of the room. The lights were all shining in different directions, causing a flurry of blind spots. Amongst the chaos, I saw Stitch. He was hunched over, seemingly tending to Raven, who was slouched against the wall under him. She was moving, but was very clearly in a lot of pain. I couldn't hear what they were saying, but I saw Raven nod towards Stitch. He then reached into his medical bag and removed a large syringe. He placed his hand on Raven's shoulder and then plunged the needle into her thigh. Raven winced and audibly groaned in pain. Her groan was drowned out by yet another roar from the Waichibo, who was now bellowing into the air around him. It was as if tasting the human blood enraged him even further. The mines are planted, Kringle shouted from his hiding spot. All we have to do is get him to step on one of them and... Before he could finish his explanation, the Waichibo had pounced. The captain and I watched helplessly as the creature leapt over all of the red glowing mines and on top of Kringle. He had gotten to him without even touching the traps. It's as if he knew they were there. The captain began to fire again, but only let out half the magazine before running out of ammo. I managed to reload and resume fire as well, but it was all useless. Our shots were either missing entirely or doing very little damage. Our effort was futile. We watched in horror as it ripped Kringle's head clean off of his body. It slowly brought the head up to its face and looked it in the eye. It then cast it away into the darkness, discarding it like it was a piece of trash, and began to rip off the remaining limbs. Feeling hopeless, I turned back towards the captain and whimpered, Now what do we do? 
The captain stared past me towards his prized target cryptid, not sure how to answer. What you do now is run. The captain and I spun our heads around and saw Raven back on her feet, walking towards the Waichivo. In her hand was her trusty Desert Eagle hand cannon. Her eyes were wide and crazed, fixed solely on the monstrosity. Raven, the captain commanded. Stand down. That thing is going to kill you. It already did. My body just doesn't know it yet. Raven replied, her voice sounding hoarse and strained. What the hell are you talking about? The captain shouted back. My body is broken. I'm not making it out of this place alive. I'm only on my feet now thanks to whatever Stitch injected me with. But he said it'll only charge me up for a few minutes. So with that said, go ahead and get the hell out of here before everyone ends up dead. Raven, please, there has to be something we can do. I pleaded, begging for her to stop. There's something I know I can do, and that's complete the mission, she stated. Now, if you want a chance to live and recover this thing's body, quit pissing me off and run. The captain looked at Raven with intense eyes, deliberating, before he finally turned to me, saying, Let's go, Professor. Follow me. Hopefully we find Stitch on the way out. We began to move, and as we did, I glanced back at Raven. Her head was slightly turned in our direction, as she watched us in the corner of her eye. Once we had gotten far enough, she cocked her gun and started blasting. She took slow, deliberate steps, getting herself closer and closer, before she stopped, right in front of the mines. From there, she continued to fire off the incredibly powerful shots from her pistol. The shots seemed to finally have an effect on the Waichibo. It turned its attention from Kringle's corpse to the reanimated mercenary that stood 30 feet away. It roared again, so loud now that I was afraid the whole place was going to come down any second. It got back up to its feet and ran towards Raven. Raven lowered her pistol, no longer aiming at the Waichivo and instead aiming towards the cluster of landmines in front of her. She peered up and spoke to the monster. This time, I'm sending you to hell where you belong. With that, she fired her last shot. As the Waichivo moved right above the mines, they detonated creating a blast that sent flames and brutal heat down towards us. We sprinted and barely made it around a corner to avoid any damage. We both sat, crouched over, with our hands over our ears, until everything got quiet again. There was nothing. No rumbling. No screaming. And no ungodly roaring. The captain peeked around the corner. After a brief moment, he turned my way, 
gave me a nod and muttered, All clear. While I continued to follow his lead, the captain slowly approached the detonation site. It was a miracle the walls held up to the blast without caving in and swallowing us all alive. I watched as he shined his bright light at the rubble. After panning, the light landed upon a grisly sight. A monsoon of blood and charred flesh painted the immediate area. A foul blend of what remained of Kringle, Raven, and the Waichivo. The Waichivo laid there, lifeless, its formerly crippled arm completely removed from the torso, along with both of its legs. The one arm it did have left was severely damaged, along with the rest of it. And despite all that, we looked on as its eyes slowly opened, blinking frantically. It let out a long groan, not one of terror, but of agony. Its remaining arm began reaching out to us. Before I can form words to address the captain, he acted. With his rifle, he unloaded a short burst directly into the head of the Waichivo. With that, its body slumped over. Finally, it was dead. Did the damn thing a mercy, the captain said, lowering his smoking gun. More mercy than it probably deserved. Now what? I asked. Now we radio back to base and have them send a chopper to our coordinates. Once they arrive, an extraction team will come in and remove as much as the Waichivo as possible, the captain explained, crouching down to get a closer look at the dead monster. He stood back up and continued. Once we get the body back to base, we can ship it to- <coughs> A sudden, deafening blast rang out from behind me. A gunshot. I watched as a bullet struck the captain in the shoulder. Another shot rang out. This time, it hit the captain in the leg, causing him to finally fall. I swung my flashlight around to find the culprit. There stood Stitch, still wearing that damned gas mask, aiming his service pistol in our direction. I felt what remained of my adrenaline rise back up and reached for my holster. Shit, I said. The holster was empty. In all the chaos and confusion from earlier, I must have dropped my gun somewhere. I looked back up at Stitch, who now had his gun trained on me. Now, now, Mr. Lazar, no need to be afraid. I have no intention of shooting you, Stitch assured me. I couldn't help but notice his tone was eerily calm given the circumstances. I dove for a nearby corner and took cover around it. Calm or not, I wasn't ready to take him at his word. And how the hell did this guy know my real name? We were only given each other's code names at base. 
I was hoping I wouldn't have to kill anyone. Stitch continued. I was hoping that the White Chivo would do that for me. But I guess just one isn't so bad. Please, don't give me a reason to make it two. I hastily scanned the area, using what little light remained. I needed something. Anything. Mr. Lazar, I assure you, if you're willing to hear me out for a moment, I think you'll realize I am not your enemy. I might actually be your new best friend. My eyes finally spotted something useful in the dark. Across the way, laid Bloodhound's shotgun. I quickly remembered he had only let off a single shot before he died. Getting that shotgun would be my only hope. I needed to keep Stitch distracted. Yeah? And what the hell makes you think I'd want to be friends with a freak like you? I roared. I just watched you shoot the captain for no reason. Once more, Benjamin, I had no intention of killing anyone. But I couldn't risk DSP getting their self-righteous hands on the specimen before me. My boss would not be happy about that. As he spoke, I slowly crept towards the shotgun. If he caught me making my move, I'd be shot dead. And who the hell is your boss? I yelled, trying to buy more time. My boss is one of the most brilliant minds overseeing the research of Lewis Seferian Memorial Hospital. And Professor, he can be your boss too. It just so happens we are increasing our efforts in specimen collection. A well-versed cryptozoologist like yourself may just be the next person we bring aboard. Yeah, I'm gonna have to pass, I shouted, finally reaching the shotgun. I quickly took cover. No way I'd work for whatever shit show agreed to hire you. I heard Stitch sigh before replying. Have it your way, Mr. Lazar. I was hoping we'd both walk away from this as colleagues. Unfortunately, since we're not, that makes you a loose end. I was instructed to ensure there were zero survivors, no witnesses, and all that. You understand, right? Now... Where did you wander off to? I watched as Stitch began to slowly search the area for me. To my dismay, I saw him turn off his flashlight. He was now blanketed in the suffocating darkness that filled the room. I had no idea where he was hiding now, but at least I had the same advantage. I carefully got onto my feet and began to slowly move out of the corner. I needed to get close if I really wanted the shotgun to work its magic. I strained my hearing, hoping to acquire even the slightest clue as to Stitch's whereabouts. Nothing. The room was silent. When I finally did hear something, 
it was too late to stop. I realized it was my own distressed, panic breathing. It was exactly what Stitch had hoped for. Ah, there you are, Stitch exclaimed. Drop the gun, Benjamin, and kick it toward me. He was standing perpendicular to me, aiming both his flashlight and a loaded pistol right at me. I shook my head, beyond disappointed in myself, and dropped the firearm to the ground before using my foot to slide it his way. He walked over to place his foot on top of it. One last chance, Mr. Lazar. It doesn't have to end like this. Come, join us. Come work with the doctor. You have no idea how dramatically we can change the world with Lewis Safarian Memorial Hospital and all the work we do. I swallowed hard. Sounds like I don't have too much of a choice, Stitch. Stitch lightly chuckled. Now, Mr. Lazar, no need to worry. In time, you'll understand. You'll see how wonderful this opportunity was for you. With his pistol in one hand, he kept his gun on me. With his other hand, he placed his flashlight to the floor, still positioned to illuminate me. He then searched his jacket and pulled out a second pistol. This one looked different somehow. He pulled the trigger. I felt a quick, sharp pain in my neck. I reached up and removed a small dart. Within seconds, my vision began to blur and my legs began to feel weak. What... What did you... What did you do? I slurred my words as I fell to my knees. All is well, Mr. Lazar. When you wake up, you'll be at the hospital, safe and sound. I'm confident it won't be too long until the place begins to feel like home. Stitch spoke calmly as he approached my slowly failing body. He reached me and I looked up at him towering above me. He put away both of his guns before continuing. Welcome to the family, Benjamin. I winced at the sudden bursts of noise. I reached down for my flashlight and shined it at Stitch. That's when I saw he had three patches of red across his torso, growing in size by the second. He slowly turned around in the direction of the shots. I saw his arm make a pathetic attempt to reach for his pistol, but to my relief, he stood no chance. One last shot erupted, sending a bullet straight through Stitch's left eye. He rotated toward me, giving me a full view of his mortal wounds as he struck the floor, dead. Grasping at my last moments of consciousness, I shine my light towards the source of the life-saving shooter. The captain was laying on his back. 
his upper half slightly bent upwards. He held out the gun, but after confirming Stitch was down for the count, he relaxed his body, sending his arm and head back to the dusty floor. I saw him press a button on his belt. A light began to blink red rapidly. The space became darker. I felt my face press against the stone below me. And just like that, everything went black. I awoke to the comforting feeling of the sun warming my face. I slowly peeked my eyes open, and that's when I heard the beeping of a heart monitor beside me. I suddenly shot up out of bed, my eyes now wide open. Had Stitch's employer found my body? Was I in the hospital? I looked around and a nurse came to my aid. I looked beyond her and saw trees. Some familiar looking scientists in lab coats. And along one of the temporary walls, the words DSP, Global Operations. I sighed and laid my head back down. I was back at the base. No idea how, but I made it out of El Castillo alive. My thoughts were interrupted by a familiar voice. How are you feeling, Mr. Lazar? I quickly looked toward her. It was the operator. The one I spoke to before this all started. What, what the hell happened? How long was I out for? I asked with an exhausted voice. The captain turned on his emergency transmitter before passing out. We sent a team to retrieve your crew. You were the only two survivors we could find. You've been asleep now for roughly 12 hours. The captain, he's... he's alive? Oh, yes. Two shots. Both managed to miss any vital organs or arteries. He'll be in recovery for a while, but... He'll be fine. I nodded, relieved that someone else besides me was able to walk away from this. The operator continued. We are still investigating what exactly happened with Stitch and how we could have missed something this big in our screening process. Unfortunately, it seems his employer is a front for something larger. An enemy we've had for a long time. They must have been planning this for years. A front? A front for what? I'm afraid you don't have the clearance for that information, Mr. Lazar. She quickly answered. You take the time you need to rest up here. We will have transport standing by to take you home. The remaining portion of your pay has been deposited into your account, as well as a small bonus. We were able to salvage even more sample material than we'd hoped for. Good work. I forced an uncomfortable smile, feeling a mix of sarcasm and amusement. Trust me, lady, I really didn't do much. 
Well, either way, the mission was accomplished, and you're still alive. Maybe you can apply what you learned last night to your next mission. That's when my smile escalated to laughter. Next mission? <laughs> you really think I'm going to agree to a next mission after everything that happened? The operator grinned and looked down to the floor before answering. The choice will be yours to make, of course, but don't be so quick to judge. You'd be surprised by how high our retention rate for contractors actually is. We're moving forward with the development of this team, and they will specialize in this sort of thing in the future. I think there may be some opportunities you will find very hard to turn down once they're up and running. <sighs> Whatever you say, lady. The operator nodded, turned around, and walked away. She was out of her mind. No way I'd ever do that again. If I never heard the letters DSP again, I'd be a happy man. I eventually did recover and made my return trip home. I checked my account before leaving. The remaining $32,000 had been deposited, along with a bonus of $16,000. In a matter of a few days, I made eighty grand, And for what? I felt like a fraud. I was barely an asset to the team. And by some stroke of undeserved luck, I was the only one able to walk away unscathed. The more I thought about it, the more I was beginning to consider the possibility of redemption, of accepting the role once more, in order to prove my worth if I ever again was invited to work with DSP Global Operations. Now I know, without a doubt, there are things out there that we cannot fully explain. Not only can I be a part of discovering those things, but I can make a career out of it. A real one, where I'm not living paycheck to paycheck. I hated to admit it, but the words of the operator rang through my head. The choice will be yours to make. I'm starting to think, if and when that time comes, it will be a very easy choice for me to make. Thank you for joining me in this episode of the Nope Too Creepy podcast. I hope you enjoyed this super long story, and I also hope that you forgive my horrible excuse for a British accent. Nobody's perfect, people. For the last time, I will let everyone know they can back the Kickstarter for Encounters by using the link in the show notes. The campaign ends on October 16th, which is tomorrow as of this video going live. To be honest, I think at this point, any one of you who would have backed already did it. And if you did, you have no idea what that means to me. I put a lot of time and energy into making this game as close to perfect as possible. And I hope 
any of you potential backers out there really just fall in love with it when you finally get your copy. But anyway, everyone, until next time, this is your host, Dan David, reminding you all to stay safe out there. I'll be seeing you in the next episode. Nope.